It's time to have lunch and talk sports. The Jeff Dantzler Show on the Superstations. America's greatest college town, the 706. A little dreary right now. It's one of those deals that we've had a little bit of a sprinkle here and there. It was supposed to rain at 7, then 8, then 9. Some clouds hanging over, but no heavy rain or anything in the forecast. As I broadcast live from the Frank and Carol Beltran radio booth here at beautiful Foley Field, where Georgia is getting to take on the Presbyterian Blue Hose this afternoon. They're doing some work on the field as we speak and a pretty darn good view from the quote-unquote office here today. So hello, wherever you may be listening in from. Let's say howdy to Central Georgia. Macon, Montezuma, Warner Robins. Hey, that's where Chris Rogers, our producer, is from. Perry and Fort Valley, down into Pinehurst, Rochelle, Waycross, the home of the great Bill Shanks, Blackshear, Eastman, Cochran, Hawkinsville, Tifton, Ashburn, Cordell, and Unadilla, and all our friends on the coast in Savannah, out to Tybee Island, Wilmington Island, Brunswick, St. Simons, where Larry and Sharon are heading, hanging out, eating some fried shrimp and oysters, and Sea Island, Jekyll Island, the beautiful Golden Isles of the 912, the 478, the 229 from the 706. Along with Mr. Chris Rogers, our superb producer, I'm Jeff Dancer. We've got some open lines if you'd like to join us here at 478-646-3776. That's 478-646-ESPN. Shoot me a tweet if you'd like. That address is at Jeff Dantzler TV. Let me know where you're tweeting us from. We've had listeners from all across Georgia and Florida, the Carolinas, Alabama, Mississippi, New Orleans, Texas, Arizona. Still got to get New Mexico. We got that for Georgia baseball. California, Seattle, Portland, Chicago, up in northeast with Vermont, Boston, Mass, New York City, PA, Mid-Atlantic, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. This show, the Bill Shank Show, all of our interviews, just go to thesuperstations.com, user-friendly, easy to download, easy to stream, and as I always emphasize, if I can do it, being definitively low-tech, so can you. Now, my Uncle Joe likes to listen in on 104.3 out of Savannah. My mom will stream the show down in Statesboro. And my dad and Patty, who are down for the winter in Hilton Head, uh, listening in. I don't know if they can pick up 104.3 if they're streaming today. So we shall see. But a big hello. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Uh, Georgia baseball taking on Presbyterian. We'll talk a lot of Bulldogs, if you want to talk some Braves, we can do that as well. And I love talking NFL draft. These years just fly by the older you get, don't they, as we're sitting here in late February. And, by the way, this is one of those uh, – you've got the leap day coming up in two days because it is leap year. So what do you want to do with that extra day? There were a couple of good sitcoms. I was a big fan of 30 Rock. They had a, a terrific leap day episode as did Modern Family, which the first three or four years of that I thought were really good. But a lot of times in sitcoms where you got kids, when the kids get older, the show loses some punch. You almost need to kind of just make them secondary characters. So they had a good Leap Day episode as well. But, yes, we will have a Leap Day coming up on Thursday. It is a busy time for Georgia Athletics. Uh, As we've talked, and if you listen to Bulldogs Live, you heard us talk about that with – our Jay Reed Parker, Director of Athletics, Josh Brooks. 14 University of Georgia athletic teams competing as we speak. This late February, early March. Absolutely awesome. That includes our Diamond Dogs, who are a perfect 7-0 on the season. 
And here's what's happening tonight. We'll have the action for you on the Superstations. Got Georgia Hoops down in Baton Rouge to take on the LSU Fighting Tigers. Uh, Georgia Baseball, PC today. Tomorrow, Georgia plays Michigan State, and that'll be our, our first later first pitch of the year. We start at 6 o'clock. And can you believe this? Chris has just informed me. Bill Shanks is actually being preempted for an hour. Yes, beginning at 6 o'clock tomorrow, you can listen to Georgia baseball, the great David Johnson and yours truly, surrounded by greatness with Bill and Chris and DJ. So we'll have Georgia baseball for you tomorrow. Lady Dogs, by the way, a little late night with the Lady Dogs on Thursday. Tip off with LSU at 9 o'clock east. That's 9 east. Georgia baseball this weekend, main event, playing tech. Friday at Russ Chandler Stadium, Saturday in Athens, Sunday at Cool Ray Field. So that's your update for what's happening the rest of the weekend. I wanted to throw out again, uh, this came out after our show yesterday, and I know Bill mentioned it, but Charlie Condon, uh, Georgia's All-American sophomore, was SEC Player of the Week this past week for the season. He's batting 643 with three homers and seven RBIs. He's 18 for 28, 13 runs scored. An on-base percentage of 694, slugging 1179. He's got seven freebies, six walks, and one hit by pitch against just three strikeouts. And I'm telling you, last Friday in a, a game that had gotten out of hand, it was a ball four, clearly. But eh, the zone widened as it was a 10-run game, strike three. So I'll put a little asterisk next to that one as well. Uh, so Charlie Condon, what an amazing kid and having a great year. This Georgia team batting 355. Dogs with 22 home runs, so that's averaging three per game. Played seven games. Dogs have driven in 81, outscored the opposition 87-29. Now Georgia on Saturday and Sunday against a very scrappy Northern Kentucky team that certainly figures to contend in the horizon. Dogs won a couple of one-run games, uh, walk-off victories in the bottom of the ninth on both Saturday and Sunday. And it, it was good for Georgia to get tested. First five games of the year, Georgia won by at least nine runs, and all of them uh, had to come off the deck, had a come-from-behind victory on Saturday, and uh, fell behind early, got the lead. Northern Kentucky came back, got the lead. Northern Kentucky came back, and then Georgia won it on a walk-off HBP, yeah, hit by a pitch with the bases loaded. Uh, so 7-6 to six on Saturday and 12-11 to 11 on Sunday. A busy, busy stretch here, 15 games in 20 days. And for the Dogs starting today, five games this week, six next week, including a Saturday doubleheader next Saturday against Northern Colorado. So that is uh, for Georgia coming up. That will be 11 games in 13 days. So that is a busy, busy stretch for the Bulldogs. All right. Well, we'll talk some Georgia football today as well, and I love to look at the NFL draft. And that major league season is fast approaching as well. What are your biggest wishes and concerns for those Atlanta Braves? And obviously it's the caveat. You have to keep that pitching healthy. By the way, this will be, yeah, 11 games in 13 days. I was doing quick math. So no game Thursday, no game Monday next week, no game Thursday next week, and then a doubleheader. Yeah, when you do math on the fly, you can catch yourself thinking, wow, did I just make a mistake like that? Uh, Special thanks go down to our friends from Arrowhead Tool out of Perry, Georgia, located at 629 General Courtney Hodges Boulevard, Arrowhead Tool, a big supporter here on the Superstations. And I'd like to send out a very happy birthday to my quarterback, 
one of my favorite Bulldogs of all time. He wore number 12. He's been a guest on this show, the great John Lastinger. Thank you. And happy birthday, John. I think it's 61 today, but I'm not going to tell. And uh, if my buddy Cuts is listing in along with Bevo and Jenny, Cuts loves John too, but I know that 1284 still stings. It would for me as well. I'll never get over Pitt and Penn State. Love you, Cuts. Uh, thank you very much to RDU Dog for tweeting in. We'll hit that as well. Okay, uh, let's run into a timeout. We can talk some NFL draft. We can talk some Georgia football. We'll keep on talking baseball here as well. Uh, schedule. And also, Chris is telling me after Georgia hoops tonight, you can catch the Hawks and the Jazz. Uh, by the way, two franchises that Pistol Pete Maravich played for. I was proud of myself yesterday. Went nine for nine baseball immaculate grid. I got six today, and I'm going to try and finish up tonight. I'm sitting at seven on football right now with two to go. Got a little nervy, but I did get my wordle today in five. I got a streak up in the hundreds. So I do wordle and immaculate grid every day. Every day. Just got to do it. I look forward to The problem with immaculate grid, it used to not start till nine. Now it comes on at six o'clock in the morning. It's put up there on the interwebs. So that just, yeah, I need a little more time to decompress sometimes. I've made a couple of mistakes just typing in the wrong box, and that's frustrating. All right, we'll run into a timeout and come back broadcasting live from Foley Field on the picturesque campus of the University of Georgia. Bit of a gray day here today, but hopefully everything will clear out and uh, hopefully good weather the rest of the way. Again, we've played two weekends of baseball here, and the weather has been perfect, which probably means we're due for some snow come the middle of March. All right, we'll run into a timeout. My name is Jeff Dantzler. This is Lunchtime in Athens. Chris Rogers doing his great work on the Jeff Dantzler Show on the Superstations. Run. Speaking of being bored to run, I think it was Peyton Chatnier for Ole Miss who did it. He stole second, third, and home not just during one inning, but on the same play. There was a pickoff attempt at first. He kept running to second and was safe. Nobody was covering third, so he dashed ahead of the shortstop, got to third, and this is a one-camera operation on the SEC+. Plus. So... I don't know if the catcher had sprinted up to first to help in case it was a rundown, but home was uncovered, so he stole home. And that's one in my life I've never seen that. I always said the rarest play in baseball is a triple steal. I mean, who in the world would try that? You'd have to have the bases loaded and uh, steal first. I'm sorry, you can't steal first. Steal second, third, and home on the same play. And there have been players, I think Rod Carew, Rod Carew stole home, I believe it was seven times. Jackie Robinson stole home a bunch. I think there have been players who have stole second, third, and home in the same inning. Like in football, we'd say the same possession. But on one play, never seen that. Joking around, so I believe they're playing Alcorn State. They meet, uh, might need to watch a baseball bunch, work on those fundamentals a little bit. But that was... 
pretty darn incredible if you happen to miss that. So the NFL draft is coming up at the end of April. What in the world do you want the NFL's, I guess, picture of mediocrity to underachieving the Atlanta Falcons to do? And I know we got a ton of Falcons fans who listen to us. So shoot me a tweet at Jeff Dantzler TV, or you can give us a call, 478-646-3776. I have pulled up another mock NFL draft, and everybody's got Caleb Williams going number one to the Bears. Sorry, I had to take a sip there. I think that's a mistake. I felt like Fields was coming on, and I think they could get a lot more. Now, maybe, as, as we've had buddies say, I think Eddie said it, Bill said it, Artie, you dog, maybe for them to move out of it, it would have to take you know, the Godfather offer, an offer you can't refuse. You better be sure, though. You better be sure when you take that quarterback number one overall. Maybe he turns out to be great. Maybe he's as good as Patrick Mahomes. I'm not sold, which means nothing. Uh, Washington predicted to take Jaden Daniels, who's moved up. The Patriots' Drake May is a red shirt soft who, like Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels, they all opted out of their bowl games, which it's just I get it. But at the same time, you're preparing for a career in football by not playing in a football game and you quit on your team. You quit to focus on yourself. I don't like it. I hate opting out. And especially some of these guys that are like how about Florida State, all those guys who quit and they're wearing their jerseys hanging out on the sidelines. No. That's one of the great things that, that Kirby's done and, and he learned some lessons from twenty eighteen when we lost to Texas in the Sugar Bowl. So if you're not playing, you're not going. You know, that mean we're mad at you, but we're not gonna just take you down there for a free vacation. And it's made a big difference. You might have seen Georgia won seven straight bowl games, counting a pair of national championship games. I just, I don't like the opting out. You quit. So, uh, maybe somehow grab Mac Jones as a backup. Uh, the Ayers are probably most likely the first non-quarterback taken is going to be Marvin Harrison Jr., who is a terrific wide receiver from Ohio State. Of course, his dad was an all-time great for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Cardinals, they've got quarterback issues of their own. What are they going to do with Kyler Murray? The Chargers, and this is the NFL Network, Bucky Brooks draft, they have going Joe All to tackle from Notre Dame. I think Bowers would be unbelievable for the Chargers uh, with Justin Herbert. They've got the Giants taking Malik Neighbors, wide receiver from LSU. A lot of LSU guys in this first round. Brian Kelly's a really good coach, and he's going to win big there. But for the number of guys they're having taken, probably a few too many losses for their liking the last couple of years. Uh, they've gotten the they've got the Titans taking Rome Adunze. That's one of the wide receivers played with Michael Penix up at Washington. This would be good news for Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons projected to take Dallas Turner at eight overall out of Alabama. And he would be, I mean, if this draft played out, and again, these drafts, they're just all educated guesses. I mean, nobody knows. 
but that would be the first defensive player to go. I really like Turner. He's a player that Georgia recruited very heavily. Uh, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban went head-to-head on him. And there are a lot of players on Georgia and Alabama's roster where that was the case, and Alabama won on Turner. I've said this before. Uh, he was the, the Carl Banks to Will Anderson's Lawrence Taylor for a couple of years and then emerged as an absolute standout. I mean, he was a great player as a freshman and a sophomore. He had a sack against Georgia right before the, the touchdown from Bennett to Mitchell that put Georgia up by one and in the lead to stay. But Turner's really, really good, and he showed he could be that lead dog as well. That would be a great pick for the Falcons, and I would think any Atlanta fan. And I've seen Cedric Van Pran, you know, projected second round. If the Falcons got Dallas Turner in the first round and Cedric Van Pran in the second, that'd be some great drafting. Uh, they've got the Bears taking Layatua Latu, who's a defensive end from UCLA. Uh, the Jets taking offensive tackle from Oregon State, Talise Fuaga. Uh, they've got the Vikings taking Jared Verse out of Florida State, who was a great player. He quit the bowl game, too. Uh, in fact, versus little sisters, a red shirt on the Georgia women's basketball team. Uh, this would be, if I had to bet the family fortune on this, they've got the Broncos taking J.J. McCarthy. I, I just think that would be a horrible pick. I think McCarthy was an okay to pretty good college quarterback. Yes, I, I know they've won big the last two years. Boy, that just seems like a stretch to me. Uh, they've got the Raiders going offensive line and the Saints going offensive line. Alu Fushana from Penn State to the Raiders and the Saints grabbing J.C. Latham, who's a very good player from Alabama. He could step right in at right tackle. Uh, another Bama player, again, another kid George recruited heavily, Terry and Arnold, uh, cornerback. Bama had a great secondary this past year. Uh, they've got Seattle taking Brock Powers. I can't believe he would fall to 16. If he does, I, I, somebody's just going to grab. I mean, he's generally considered a top five player in the draft. Uh, the NFL.com has the Jags grabbing Nate Wiggins out of Clemson, who's a corner. Illinois defensive tackle, Jarzon Newton going to Cincinnati. They've got the Rams taking a defensive end from Penn State, Chop Robinson. Uh, the Steelers going with Amarius Mims. And uh, Mims, obviously a great talent. George didn't play a ton of snaps. He was injured for a lot of his junior year. When he came back, he was very good. He got hurt early against Alabama and did not come back in the game. Last year, Pittsburgh took Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington. If they were to grab Mims, uh, you'd have Jones at left tackle and Mims at right tackle. The NFL.com, NFL Network, has the Dolphins taking Troy Fontenot out of Washington, an offensive tackle. Again, the offensive tackles have low bust rates. Even if they don't turn out to be great, they still play. I remember 20-something years ago, the Raiders took an offensive lineman named Robert Gallery from Iowa with the number two overall pick. He didn't turn out to be that Hall of Fame left tackle, but the guy started in the NFL for a decade. Started at guard, right tackle. Uh, They have the Eagles taking a cornerback from Toledo, The Texans taking Byron Murphy from Texas, who's an excellent defensive tackle. Uh, They've got the Cowboys taking 
an offensive tackle from Oklahoma named Tyler Guyton. Uh, Tyron Smith has been a great player for Dallas, is a, a potential free agent, or he is a free agent, so he could leave, and that would be clutch. And Dallas has just got to be sitting here thinking, does it matter? If we make the postseason, we're going to choke anyway. Uh this mock has the Packers taking Cooper DeJean, a cornerback from Iowa. Then the Bucks going with Brian Thomas Jr. going to Tampa. Excellent wide receiver. I mean, Mike Evans has had a Hall of Fame career. Best name in the draft, they've got the Cardinals. Their second pick of the first round, Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama, terrific player. they got the Bills taking Keon Coleman from Florida State. Sat out the bowl that Georgia won 63-3 to in case you forgot. Another Washington player, defensive end, Braylon Trice. They've got targeted going to Detroit. Baltimore with Jordan Morgan, an offensive tackle from Arizona. They've got the 49ers projected to take a lineman from Duke named Graham Barton. And then this mock draft has Kansas City taking Missouri defensive lineman Darius Robinson, who's really good. And Georgia went up against him this past season, and he was really good. I think Kansas City grabs Lad McConkey if he's there. And I also think Kamari Lassiter's going in the first round. Just gauging off the success that Georgia players have had, the number that the Bulldogs put in the NFL, the last two drafts putting out 25. And we have definitely turned out some great corners. We that one draft, the draft of 21, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, they've both been terrific. Stokes with Green Bay and Tyson Campbell with Jacksonville. And I, I think Lassiter's is as good as anybody that Georgia's had at that spot in the Kirby era. So I don't see him falling out. And for McConkey, he's the total package at receiver. And, yeah, he was banged up this past year. And when he was healthy – He's shown he was as good as any receiver in this league, just had the nagging injuries. But McConkey has phenomenal hands. He gets open. He's got that sway. He's just got that knack for finding the holes in the zone, and he's got terrific speed and moves. I just remember the Ole Miss game when he had about three defenders twisted and turning, and he wound up turning his back to the goal line and nearly scored. If, if McConkey makes it to the second round, somebody's getting a steal. I, I just, for me, I could see Kansas City, which had issues at receiver. And again, what's it? Is, is it Rashawn Rice? Is that how you say the first name? But when Rice came on, that gave them a huge lift. And they got Miko healthy as well. And they could use another receiver. I believe they led the NFL in drops this past year. I, I just think McConkey to Kansas City would be a natural fit. And apparently, uh, Joe Burrow really wants Cincinnati to take Bowers. Jim Harbaugh saw Bowers as a freshman up close and personal when Georgia blew out Michigan in the Orange Bowl. I, I would think if he's sitting there at five that the Chargers could grab him up or trade back. If Bowers falls out of the top ten, somebody's getting an absolute steal. You can definitely make the case he's the best player in the draft. And I get the value of the positions. Just for it, just what what quarterback is? One of these rankings has Jaden Daniels ninth overall, but going second. It's the quarterback position. Teams will gamble on that. Shoot me a tweet. Let me know where you're listening from at Jeff Dantzler TV. Uh, thank you, RDU Doggy. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, the catcher went to cover third, and then well, the first baseman didn't break to cover home. 
Uh, oh, let's see. Connections. Keith Hartley says I need to try that. Is that a sports show? I'll have to try that. Uh, thank you, Keith. I've got two that I play. I can usually get a hockey guy or two. Baseball far and away the best. I've gone immaculate a couple times on base on a football and the NBA. I'm usually getting seven or eight in baseball, and I've gotten probably a dozen immaculates. Every day, I like it when they've got the categories, not just common teams. So, Keith, I will try connections. Uh, UGA alum, 95. I really like the James Coley hire by Kirby as UGA alum, 95. Listing from Cordell, Georgia, the watermelon capital of the world. Thank you very much. I do, too. Uh, James Coley is an ace recruiter. He did a terrific job helping Georgia build a very talented roster. It did not go great with him as the offensive coordinator, uh, but he is definitely one of the top recruiters in the business. Uh, he's got some of those Miami connections, and I think he was a big reason Georgia was able to strike gold in South Florida with a handful of elite players who had a big role in those back-to-back -back national championships. So I agree. I think that was a good move to get him back. And I think, you know, as long as he can continue to, to, to get the Jimmys and the Joes, that will prove to be a very wise move indeed. Uh, talking about the draft, and I just lost my spot here for just a second. RDU dog, the combine makes me think of the Bramers assessment, one of my old Athens co-hosts. He was great. What was he getting exactly? Watching guys exercise. I agree. Uh, love the baseball team coming back in those games, but the home runs by the other guys have me months inning. Lots of games the next few days up those Wheaties. You're right. Uh, like we said, it'll be 11 and – am I right? 11 and 13 days. And uh, that's that's going to squeeze the pitching. Georgia's got 20 arms. And then you got Tech this weekend, Northern Colorado the next weekend with two midweekers both weeks. Then after that, it's midweek and SEC and just one midweek or the rest of the way. And you got to know who your guys are. Uh, so basically the, these next two weeks – now, Tech, it's going to be all front line, but these next two weeks – a lot of guys are going to get opportunities. We're going to see how they can do. We're going to see how they can perform and just who's ready, who can handle that big stage of the toughest league in the land. Because once you get into conference play, you just you, you can't have tryouts. And George's new head coach, Wes Johnson, who I love, he knows that. He's been at Arkansas, at Mississippi State. He was a pitching coach for LSU's national championship team a year ago. He coached Paul Skeens. He is well aware of that. And that is going to be a big, big key. And, and every team will tell you that, just getting that pitching sorted out when you jump into conference play. Uh, let's see, any other tweets out there? Thank you, Robert Wolf. Thank you, Scuppernog. Uh, let's see, your other brother tweeting us in as well. Uh, thank you to Donna McCullough for listening in. And, hey, RDU Dog, again, thank you very much for the, yeah, good job on, catching that it was the catcher who went to go cover third. Then nobody nobody covered home. Isn't that crazy? I had something good I was going to throw out there. Uh, yeah, but with, with the draft, again, back to that. I, I'm not saying the combine's not important. If it wasn't, people wouldn't do it. I, I think it's a, a reaffirmation. And for most of the really good teams, you're going 80% 
on what the player did. Now, obviously, character. You know, you got to be, you got to be careful. And that's why you see the really good teams. They they rarely draft the the sketchy characters. Sometimes a talent teams will take a gamble on it. But you've got to show that you can do it in the games. And that's why going with the best players from the SEC is a pretty good formula and great major college players. You know, I looked at the – and not to say, obviously, there are great players from small schools too. But when you look at the 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, when they're announcing the schools they went to, almost all of them went to major schools. It's kind of the same things. Yeah, you might have a preferred walk-on or, or, or a two-star pop-in and play – here and there in college, and not to say there aren't great players that fall through the cracks, but for the most part, it's blue chippers who are starting, and the draft is the same way. And most of the great players through the years that went to, quote-unquote, smaller schools were very, very high picks. I'm talking about going back to Terry Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, and all the way through Khalil Mack. Those guys were very, very high picks. They were rated highly. So, again, for the combine, it usually just reaffirms. So, again, for most of the great teams, you're going to go about 80% on what they did in college and maybe about 20% on the combine. Now, I, I get it. If, if there's a defensive back you really like and he goes out and runs a slow time at the combine, a really slow time, that might be some cause for concern. But part of what makes the NFL draft so entertaining and so maddening is that there is so much time between the end of the season. I'll always say January 1st. Now I know it's going to be January 20th, but basically, you know, for forever, the season ended on New Year's Day and then January 8, 9, 10, whatever it may be. There's so much time between the end of the college football season and the draft. And especially with guys opting out now, too, not even playing in bowls. So let's say, let's just bring up Jared Verse, for example, for Florida State. The last time he played in a football game was the first Saturday in December in the ACC title game. So that means he would have gone from the first of December to the very end of April without playing in a game. There is so much time between the draft and the season that a lot of teams forget what they saw and they talk themselves out of things. I think I don't know if anybody saw the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner. I thought it was pretty good, pretty good. I mean, there were some things in there that weren't going to be accurate, but again, it's Hollywood. That's fine. I don't remember the name of the fictional linebacker from Ohio State. Let's let's just say Randy Gratishar, who was a great linebacker from Ohio State and played for the Denver Broncos. But Kevin Costner's character, and he was a general manager. He, in his desk, he had written himself a note says, "When in doubt, draft Randy Gratishar." So now the season's over. Don't overthink it. By the way, we're hitting some bombs in BP right now. Don't overthink it. Take this guy. But there's so much that goes around. There's misinformation. There's disinformation. And the other fascinating thing, too, about the draft is the perceived value of positions has a tremendous effect on where players go. Uh, For the most part, most part now, in basketball, you're going to take the best guy, just the best player there is, regardless of position. Now, it used to be that centers went number one, or centers went ahead of guards. Uh, remember Portland took Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan? That that changed things. But for the most part, you're going to take the best guy out there. 
You know, if, if if you need a center, but if Magic Johnson's out there, you take Magic Johnson. You need a center and Oscar Robertson's out there, you better take Oscar Robertson. And I just think basketball, it's just easier to identify at times. But in football, and it's all cyclical, there could be positions like right now, offensive guard, running back, safety, that their perceived value might not be as high. There's so much of it now. Obviously, it starts at quarterback. Who can protect that quarterback without help? Who is the pass rusher who can get to that quarterback demanding the double team without needing help? Who is that receiver that can get open and force a double team? Who is that corner who can cover that receiver without help? Which all comes down to numbers. So for that reason, you will see players at the perceived positions of greater impact go higher and teams will reach and stretch for those guys. Then meanwhile, you oftentimes you'll find somebody like Kansas City or San Francisco drafting towards the end. They might get a guard, an inside linebacker, a center, or a running back who is a top 15 talent in the draft but is still sitting there because he's not playing one of the perceived positions of impact. It is all about the value. And one of the areas where the Falcons, no matter who's been in charge, have traditionally struggled is that if you like a guy, you don't want to reach. If you can still get that guy, let's say you're you're drafting at 20. If you can still get that guy at 38 in the second round, you trade back and you get more picks and you get more value. That's how the good teams do it. That's how the good teams operate and stay in position. So for Atlanta at eight, I think what's fascinating now, you look at this roster where there are a lot of good pieces, but at the same time they need help at some spots. And I think we could all agree, even though there is some upside there, that Pitts, London, and Robinson haven't played like a trio of top ten picks at the skill positions. And I know Robinson was just a rookie last year. They also he was clearly shaky in the pass game on the on the short passes and the fact that they continued to try to force feed it showed a lot of stubbornness. But Atlanta has got some issues. Their biggest issue though is at quarterback. And I know a lot of teams have that, but that was, as we said a million times, a gettable schedule in a woefully mediocre to awful division, and they didn't cash in. Well, then how about the Panthers? They won two games, including one over Atlanta, which was the, the death blow for the Falcons to have any shot at making the playoffs. So they traded this year's number one pick last year to the Bears to move up to take Bryce Young. And maybe Bryce turns out to be great. He had an up-and-down rookie year, but they're they're terrible. I went with my buddy Scott Clegg. We saw them in person. We went up to a Panthers-Saints Monday night game, and their offense is just woeful. It's one of those deals where their best back should be a number three. Their best receiver would be a number three. Their offensive line is not good. So you could be Carolina and coming off a 2-15 and 15 season 
and not even having a first-round pick. But they do feel like they've got their quarterback. But Stroud was obviously the guy. And Houston's a team that's on the uptick. That might be one of those as a GM you would have preferred, like Houston, to have the second pick because you take whichever one falls through. But I thought from day one, seeing them both in person, and Young and Stroud are both terrific against Georgia, I, I would have taken Stroud. And obviously, year one, Stroud was a smart pick. I also think Houston, and, and you're always a little leery about giving up a first-rounder for next year. But for them to do that and be able to grab Will Anderson, so I guess they flopped picks and gave away this year's first-rounder to take one of the top two defensive talents in last year's draft, along with Jalen Carter. It paid off, and it was worth the gamble. Carolina's got to be asking, was that worth the gamble? And again, for Atlanta, this was one of those where they need to just keep it simple. First of all, they got to decide what they're going to do about quarterback. I know Eddie from Ackworth said he wouldn't give up that eighth pick for Fields. I would agree with that. But if they get the quarterback situation figured out, whether they make a deal, and there's no way they just stand pat. Maybe they give up a couple of seconds and get somebody. I don't know. But if Dallas Turner's sitting there at eight, grab him. The guy's too good. Impact, impact defender. Uh, the Twitter address, if you'd like to say hello, is at Jeff Dantzler TV. Love to hear from you there. Vontae Mack. Thank you, Jay Deal. 10 to 9 in Texas. There you go, Matthew. Appreciate you. Yeah, there are there are just a lot of question marks for the Falcons. And I think it's one of those deals, and I've got a couple of buddies who are big-time Falcons fans through the years. It almost seems it doesn't matter who's in charge. You just figure they're going to make the wrong pick. So who are the Falcons' best picks? I mean, if you're going to go way back, Tommy Nobis. Of course, late 70s and 80s, they've made great picks on the offense line with Mike Ken and Jeff Van Note. Bill Freilich was really good. Claude Humphrey was a great player. I mean, you could say Dion was their top pick, but he was only there for five years. Then he went to San Francisco, then Dallas, of course, with Super Bowls and other places. Brett Favre was a pretty good pick. He threw four passes. One of them was an interception. So their most successful first-round picks, so it was – Michael Vick, we all know what happened there. And then Matt Ryan, who's their worst pick? It's got to be Andre Bruce. Of course, they passed on Rodney Hampton for Steve Broussard. A lot of teams passed on Jamari Salyer, by the way. And I think Hayden Hutchinson is great. And that was a terrific pick by the Detroit Lions. But Jamari Salyer dominated him in the Orange Bowl. If I'm Detroit, love Hutchinson at two, plus he's a Michigan guy, I would have taken Sawyer. The fact that he fell to the sixth, a lot of teams missed. Pro Bowl player. That was a big miss for Atlanta. Guy could play all over the offense. That was a big miss for a lot of teams. But yeah, if I was Detroit, if I'm taking Hutchinson, how do you not take Sawyer as well? All right, let's run into a timeout. Having a great time. Still a little bit cloudy here in Athens, Georgia. Getting you ready for some Georgia baseball this afternoon. 3 o'clock first pitch. The great David Johnson will join me. The great Bill Shanks in Athens today. I guess he'll be back in Macon. He might be on location. He had sweet Susie with him. Taking her to get 
checked out by one of our vets here. And uh, the magnificent Chris Rogers is back at Mission Control. Talk a little more draft. Talk some baseball if you want as well. And take a peek at what's on the SEC hoop schedule tonight. And tomorrow got the dogs at LSU. But, man, the road dog, he's eating well. It's the Superstations on a Tuesday. Or is that love and touch and squeeze? Did I jump the gun on that one? Yeah, that's uh, love and touch and squeezing. Right band, wrong song. It is those first those first three or four notes are pretty much the same, though. I could semi-name that tune. Uh, little SEC hoops. Let's run through the standings, first of all. Tennessee and Alabama both at 11-3. and three. South Carolina and Auburn both at 10-4. and four. Florida and Kentucky both at 9-5. and five. And Mississippi State 8-6. and six. That's seven teams above 500 by at least two games. And you got Ole Miss at 6-8. and eight. Texas A&M and LSU at 6-8. and eight. Dogs in Arkansas at 5-9. and nine. Vandy at 2-12. and 12. Missouri at 0-14. By the way, the Missouri women are 2-12 and 12 in SEC play. Anyways. So looking at the bracketology, you've got on that first reveal, Tennessee projected to be a two, Alabama and Auburn both as threes, Kentucky a five, South Carolina a six, Florida an eight, Mississippi State a nine, and Ole Miss actually right now set to be in the first four according to a couple of bracketology sites. So here's what's happening in the league tonight. A very big game in Starkville as Kentucky will be at Mississippi State. It'll be rocking. You've got Vanderbilt going to Arkansas. A couple teams at the bottom this year. And same for Georgia and LSU. As the dogs try and get a win on the road, move up. And, again, Mike White is doing a very good job. Georgia's recruiting well, developing well. If you're a dog fan, if you get frustrated with some of the losses, and I get it, I want to win all the time too. Two years ago, we went 1-18 and in the league. Count the tournament. Great class coming and a great core here returning next year, and you plug a couple of holes with the portal. Tomorrow, Missouri will be at Florida. That's a must win there for the Gators. South Carolina at A&M. That's a tough trip for the Gamecocks. Ole Miss host Alabama, monster game for Ole Miss. A win there would hugely increase their tournament chances and one of the biggest games of the year. Auburn taking on Tennessee in Knoxville. So a full slate of the SEC. Uh, You've got this week and then one more week of the regular season. The SEC men's tournament is two weeks away. The women's tournament begins next week. Uh, the Lady Dogs host LSU Thursday and go to Vandy on Sunday. Their tournament starts at Greenville on Wednesday. Uh, then the following week, the men's tournament will start on Wednesday in Nashville. But that Tennessee-Auburn game is enormous. And you're talking about SEC championship implications. And I think that's that's the big thing there. And if Tennessee can win that one, that would, for the most part, not that anything's automatic, that that would clear them from Auburn. They, they would have a two-game lead over the Tigers plus the tiebreaker. 
if Auburn could win, then Auburn and Tennessee are tied, and then a lot's going to depend on what happens with Alabama. I mean, Ole Miss could upset them, and if South Carolina were to win at Texas A&M, you could have a four-way tie for first. Uh, But when you look at it big picture, I think Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, and Kentucky are all good enough to make it to the Final Four. And I know for Kentucky fans, I mean, they lost, what, four straight games at Rupp for the first time maybe since the 20s or 30s. That's the 1920s. And, of course, Rupp Arena wasn't around back then, but losing that many in a row at home, maybe in the year they were on probation, but whatever. That just doesn't happen there. But that is still a very talented team. South Carolina is going to be a tough out for somebody. I don't know if they've got the firepower. Florida could score. My biggest concern with Florida, they are great at home, 12-1 and in front of the Rowdy Reptiles, just 3-5 and on the road. Similar thing there with Mississippi State, 11-2 and at the hump. Just 2-6 and in true road games. About 6-0 and in neutral site games. Going to win in a couple of those holiday tournaments. That'll help. Yeah, but the dogs definitely feel like we're in an upwards trajectory with the basketball program. Made a big step last year. And and this is one of those – listen, this season by no means is dead. Maybe Georgia closes on a run, and, and who knows what could happen. I do think Georgia's good enough. Now, let's say Georgia winds up playing the first day of the SEC tournament. I think the dogs are good enough to get a win on day one and maybe put a scare into somebody. I don't know if Georgia's got the – punch to, to win five games and win the SEC tournament. And if you play on day one, you'd have to win five to win it. But I do think George is good enough to win a couple of times. And for this team, I think making the NIT, I think that'd be a good accomplishment and another progression forward under Mike White's watch. Uh, the numbers, if you'd like to tweet at us, at Jeff Dantzler TV, and of course, 478-646-3776. Thank you to Mitt 302 for tweeting in as well. And again, a big happy birthday going out to my man, number 12, Georgia quarterback, John Lastinger, quarterback of the 82 SEC champs and of the 83 team that went on to win the Cotton Bowl, both teams finishing number four in all the land. Uh, We'll be back with you again tomorrow from Foley Field, Georgia sports extravaganza, as the Bulldogs will take on the Michigan State Spartans. And again, we'll have that game for you on the Superstations tomorrow night that will do it for us here today i appreciate you spending this hour with us and of course tune in to bill later today we got georgia hoops coming up tonight as the bulldogs and the lsu fighting tigers go at it at the pete maravich assembly center in baton rouge louisiana thank you so much to chris rogers who does a tremendous job at mission control as always my name is jeff dantzler Keep living the dream, and thanks for listening to the Superstations.